0: everybody, I want to welcome you to today's edition of Bible News Radio. Hey, if you're new to the show, I want to thank you for joining us today. As today we have a very special interview uh, for you that I I personally have been looking forward to doing this interview um, for actually many weeks now. And um, you'll understand why this is kind of near and dear to my heart as we get into our interview today with Nagme Nahi. I think I nailed the name. <laughs> She's saying yes, so I did. Um, you know how, you know, doing it, being a host, sometimes the names, you know, you, should, you always want to make sure you get the name right. But anyway, uh, so Nagme is here. And um, if you are a friend of hers or a supporter of hers, I want to thank you for joining us today. Because, um, honestly, I'm going to just be blunt. Most Christian media will not cover stories like this. They don't. And I'll tell you why. And this isn't popular, but I'll tell you why. It's because Christian media is bought and paid for media. One of the blessings that I personally have here at Bible News Radio is that I'm not bought for, I'm not paid for. I'm just a kid doing what God's called me to do on a Internet platform that's as secular as all get-out. I mean, here we are on YouTube and Facebook and Twitch and we also will have the audio up later on iTunes and other places. So, um, you know, I don't have a concern that if somebody's handed me a dollar, <laughs> I might offend somebody. So, that's why we do what we do. And so I want to thank you for for joining us today. And before we 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 bring um Nagme on the on on the screen, I want to invite you to visit my website, which is hearttug.org. And um, that is our main website. On that website, you'll be able to learn all about my husband and I who who do this, actually my husband and me who do this, Um, because, you know, we do more than just this show. We actually have Bible reading accountability groups. We have Bible studies and biblical counseling that we offer people who um, tune in to the show and who become part of our family. So, and also over there, you can sign up for our email list, and you can get on my text message list, which really, that's where I want you, because text messages go right to the phone, and people, it doesn't go into spam, (laughs) and you actually get notified when I'm live. So you can do that, and if you're watching live here on the screen, if you just text uh, Team Unstuck, you can do that to 33222. I'll send you a daily text asking you if you've read in the Bible that day. Because it's important to be in the Bible. That's why we're Bible News Radio, right? Because the Bible's first. The second one, though, is if you want to be on our show list, text Bible News together to 33222. Do that. And then every time we update uh, the show and we have people come on, uh, you'll get a text about that. And we have a daily uh, Facebook page where we have a team of people who are reading through the Bible. We are actually in our 29th book right now. We have read 29 whole books of the Bible out loud on Facebook. Don't tell them, right? They might ban my group. Because, <laughs> you know, Facebook is owned by the devil for the most part. But anyway, we're, we're taking back the, the thing and, and we got that. So if you need to be encouraged in the Word, then I want you to be in the Word and all of that. So that's just a little bit about us. Thank you for joining us. And and so today, you know, um, many of you probably don't know, if you're new to the show, that I actually used to write the Voice of the Martyrs persecution blog. I had the opportunity and interesting experience to do that for eight years. So I'm very familiar with Christian persecution. And when Pastor Saeed uh, Abedini was in... Iran and he was being persecuted for his faith this was one of the stories that I covered a lot and um, Nagmeh his wife became the face of the Save Saeed campaign that was going on right there and and you know as a writer covering this stuff for so long my heart was always broken and I just felt like I just always wanted to hug these people who were out there in the front, you know, dealing with this stuff. And she's one of those people. And I actually, um, and so I'm so honored, Nagme, Come on, come on here, Randall. Bring her up. I'm so honored that you're here with me. It's it's so cool. I got to meet Miriam Ibrahim after she was released, uh, and I had her on our show. And now here you are on our show um, as... well. you had Miriam. I did. She's one of my best friends. Yeah, I she... Her. You know how she contacted me? She actually contacted me in LinkedIn. (laughs) Wow. She contacted me. It was the weirdest thing. I don't even know how it happened. But yeah, I had her on the show. And um, that was a long time ago. But now I get you again. So glad that you're here.
1: Interesting how Miriam and I's story
0: intersected and, and
1: domestic abuse. And we've become really good friends through all of that.
0: Yeah. So if... If somebody's watching who might not know your story or know anything about you, really, do you mind filling us in a little bit? Tell us first about your upbringing and, and you know, where you grew up and how you came to the Lord. Yeah.
1: So just the warning is my life is like any normal life. It's not a Hollywood where it has a certain ending or certain climax and things turn out, you know, how we want it to. It's it's um, pursuing God and falling and learning and growing and being sanctified. So uh, I was born in a Muslim country in Iran. Uh, My parents were Muslim. My dad was very strong Muslim uh, and I was born 1977. So 1979 revolution happened. And then 1980, I believe the war with Iraq started. And that's what had us leave Iran eventually in 1986. And, uh, we came to California for, I was in California for about a year and then came to Idaho. So I just, all of that being said, when I was growing up in Iran, I was growing up in a war and I had a lot of questions of who God was. And I had a, I have a twin brother. So we would talk about why is God allowing this? And so, uh, when we came to America one day, my brother ran to me and he said, nagme I found the God we've been looking for. His name is Jesus. And that was my brother, you know, he, right now he has a doctorate in quantum physics. He's very, his mind is not very emotional. So for him to be like crying and telling me and being very affected by this, uh, it really made me move me. And so, um, I asked him what happened. He'd had a dream or a vision of Jesus and he wanted to know who Jesus was. He said, I know he's the one. And so we, you know, long story short, we found people who told us who Jesus was, gave us Bibles. My parents found out they took away the Bibles and they thought California was influenced heavily by Christians uh, because they correlated the Hollywood culture with Christianity. So they moved us to Idaho. <laughs> um, you know, at that time, my uh, I had an uncle who had just graduated from college and had found a job in Boise, Idaho. So we moved with him. And that's where I've been for a big chunk of my
0: life. Wow! You know, okay. So there's a couple things I didn't know that. I first of all, I didn't know you were a twin. How cool is that? Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's very cool. Um, but that story is so It's eer- eerie because that actually my my conversion story is very similar to that. Wow! Um, in that when I became a Christian in high school. My mother was so anti Jesus Christ. I mean, she ban- She wouldn't let me go to church, and it wasn't. Oh yeah,
1: that's how it was for
0: yeah. me growing up. I couldn't go to church. Yeah, she wouldn't let me go to church. She didn't even want me reading the Bible. I actually would get up early at five o'clock in the morning after my friend Gail smuggled me the Bible. Literally, she literally smuggled me a Bible in my um my high school library. She gave me a copy. Um, I read that bible in secret for years until she finally it was a couple of years later she finally allowed me to go to church. She wouldn't let she would let my brother go but she wouldn't let me go. Cuz wow. cuz of abuse. So isn't that weird? Enough,
1: I, interesting enough, me and my brother got saved at age 9. When I turned 16, uh well in Idaho you can drive at like 14, 15. But uh right around 15, 16 I start sneaking out early Sunday mornings. We would stay up late, you know, so everyone was sleeping I go to early service at a church near our house. Then I realized my parents knew and they weren't doing anything about it. So I was shocked. And later I realized that the Bible they had taken from me and my brother, they were reading. So right around 16, 17, my parents were softening up to the gospel. And when I went to college, they actually got saved. So oh. um, very interesting, but yeah, they wouldn't let me go to church. Um, basically most of my Christian life from nine to 18, I'd gone to church a handful of times, and that was between age 16 and 18, and I still didn't have a Bible. Um, I would really got my first Bible in college, um, and that's when I start doing devotionals and journals and really pursuing my relationship with God.
0: <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> it's so cool, and yet, you know, the interesting thing about that is that we live in America, and you would think that most people would have a Bible and read it, right? But that's not necessarily the case
1: there's a there's a girl I met if I can remember she write she wrote into the light I think mm-hmm. she wrote a book that became New York best time seller she was an immigrant from I want to say I don't know I want to say Pakistan I could be completely wrong some country Muslim country and she her parents were after her she was on the news where she converted and her in, in America they were after her and she had to go hide out and and so on. And um, so, oh, it's Rifka Berry. Her story is
0: amazing. Yes. So when I was advocating, have you talked to her? I have not, but I've always wanted to. Okay. When
1: I uh, was advocating for Said, I, um, we became friends and uh, her story just really touched me. So yeah, here in America, uh, Muslims are also persecuted. I work with a lot of Muslim refugees and recently we had a church baptism where some of the kids got baptized and we were telling them like, uh, this is going to cost you. Like knowing even in America, going home and saying they were Christians now, was not going to be not going to be
0: good. Yeah. You know, I, um, we covered her, her story because, um, I believe they were after her and they were trying, they were trying to kill her because of what she did you know and, yes. and she yeah she wrote a book in fact i think i just i might have i might have it i actually might have the book cuz i was going through some old books of mine but yeah you know i was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday that that you know christian persecution i think is going to be more evident here in america you know yes um we have a lot of muslim mosques that have been created we have or created built you know, uh, we have, um, I don't know, we just have, there's just so much. You've got to be s- completely blind to not think that we're not going to be persecuted here too, uh, especially with what's, what's going on right now. So, um, so Rifak is from Sri Lanka. So I
1: was completely wrong. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> And okay. you're right. She was persecuted and she was afraid for her life. And if you read her book, um I actually at the front of her book I have a forward uh, I am I'm one of the people that forwarded her book so um I think it's hiding in the light it's called hiding in the light I highly highly recommend that book I when I was reading it to endorse it um I just couldn't put it down you know some books it takes you days to read I just like it literally took me hours and I I couldn't put it down. So it's an amazing, her journey is amazing. And like you said, it's persecution here in America. This is not about persecution in Sri Lanka or Middle East. This is about persecution here in America.
0: Yeah. Okay. So what do you think are some warning signs or different things that American Christians today should actually pay attention? I know you and I talked prior to the show about memorizing the word of god i i am so passionate about that i memorized the first five stances of psalm 119 this year right i love psalm 119 I, I love it too and you love it more the more you memorize it but um but it gives me such a
1: love for the word of god psalm 119 is like all about the word of god Yep, and yeah it's amazing i have to confess my brain I don't know if it's because I grew up in Iran my first language was Farsi but English is really my main language now I'm not really good at either now um but (laughs) I my brain it's hard to memorize it really I've done I've you know and I know there's some brains out there that's harder to memorize scripture but I think it's really important because um having worked with the persecuted church you know I went to Iran in 2001 right after September 11 and have really worked with the persecuted church since then uh, knowing the Bible is so important um you know and you really don't know I don't know where America will be but you don't really don't know how long you have access to the word of God uh you know a lot of countries people don't so I think it's important to memorize it uh one thing I've realized um Because one thing you said, what you're covering, not a lot of people covers, but in the Christian world, and that breaks my heart because uh, as Christians, we should be at the forefront of calling any form of abuse, any form of abuse of power, whether government, whether um, church, whether in a home and in a spousal or ministry or work or whatever, because, you know, and so I've prayed about it the last few weeks, I've taken a lot of time to pray and fast and seek God of what's going on, Lord, like, why are we so off target here? Um, and what I've realized as I've been processing and praying is uh, we've been caught up in a very busy culture where we're really, I, I call it a hamster wheel, we're running on a hamster wheel and we're not giving time to sit before the throne of God, sit at the feet of Jesus. And because of that, we are not, we have lost sight of the holiness of God and have lost our reverence for God. And we have become, we have made him like us. So, you know, we don't really take verbal abuse seriously, uh, where the Bible says, you know, our words have the power to kill or bring life, but we don't take that seriously. Uh, The the Bible says, you know, if you look at a woman lustfully, such as pornography, that's adultery. So we're like, well, not really, or anger, the Bible calls murder. And we kind of downplay it to bring God to our level instead of saying, wow, you know, that's how bad, like, that's how holy God is. And we see Him even with Ananias and Sapphira in the Bible. I mean, they weren't even taking, stealing money from the church. They were actually donating, but they lied about it. They wanted to look better They wanted to look more holier to people than they really were, you know, and we see how God dealt with it. So I think the root of us um, not addressing abuse is our, uh, we've really lost sensitivity to sin um, and we've lost the side of holiness of God and our reverence for him. And so many times during my time of devotional this week, what stood out to me was, you know, God saying, you did not treat me holy in front of, you know, he really, he, it really matters to him to be treated as holy in front of other nations. Mm. And that's how in the book of Acts, people were getting saved. It's the holiness of God. There was a fear. There was a reverence. Wow. You know, and I, 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 and just going back, I think that's why we just downplay abuse. We call it a liberal thing. You know, I've, I've been called like, that I'm liberal. I'm actually a very conservative girl, you know, but I've been called liberal because I want to talk about abuse and that's, you know, and I'm told, you know, focus on the gospel and which is what I have always um, evangelism is my number one passion, but I believe calling out abuse is part of sharing the gospel. And that's what Jesus did reading in the new Testament today. I mean, so many harsh words, Jesus had to say to the Pharisees and to the lawyers and so, uh, you know, but when we do that, we want to follow Jesus in one way. We, we want to talk about kindness and grace of God. We don't want to talk about wrath and judgment of God. We don't want to take in God completely as who he is. And so, uh, you know, we don't want to, we want to call out the outside world, but when, you know, we follow Jesus and he called the inside, uh, we get attacked and it's a dangerous thing to do. It's, it cost Jesus. His life it was not the outside world. It was
0: his own people that took his life, you know? Yeah. Well, you, you have said so well, so many of the things that, that just touched my heart. And, you know, I have to tell you yesterday, as I was praying about this, this show, and I was talking to somebody about it and thinking about it, you know, um, in my flesh, I want to verbally pummel people, (laughs) (laughs) I do. I'm not going to lie about it. I want to call people names that don't stand up for abuse. I was an abused child and I went to the church first and -hmm. they did nothing. And yet, you know, we have um, ministries, big, big name ministries and, and part of the Christian media world. And I've been in this world about 17 years. I've covered numerous national religious broadcasters conventions. I've been inside the media world i've interviewed thousands of people at this point and very few shows like this because it's not about what it's not about the holiness of god it's not about the different things that you're talking about um and and you know i want to talk to you about what happened with franklin graham um, after the whole thing that happened with your ex-husband but i I want to bring up this point that the lord showed me yesterday so as i was praying about the show i was like okay So Franklin Graham heads up Samaritan's Purse, right? And they minister to orphans and poor children and things like that. Um, And then we have other big ministries. They do the same thing. They put the orphans out there, and then people give money because it's an emotional thing. You don't want to see anybody starving, you know? It it is what it is. And, you know, I understand why people get upset because if you say a name like Franklin Graham, you have just poked the eye of Christian royalty, right? Billy Graham's son, you know? You can't do mm-hmm. that because, you know, this is the God we worship. Not that I'm saying he's a God, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. So anti-Christianity. Right, but here's the thought that came to my mind. And and because people always say, well, they do such great things. You know, we have backpacks at Christmas and those Christmas boxes we've all done, right? And the thought came to my mind, and I don't know if it was Lord or not, but it was the thought that came to my mind was... Unsaved people can feed poor people too. So what is it that makes you a Christian if you're feeding poor people? Does that make you a Christian? No. <laughs> it, it doesn't because unsaved people can do all the things that Christians do. And frankly, a lot of what we have as big Christian ministries, what they do. And you know, as well as I do, that there's so much corruption in the church I, I like I said, I wrote for Voice of the Martyrs. When Tom White killed himself, the head of the head of Voice of the Martyrs murdered. He killed himself. He murdered himself. He killed himself because he was under That's investigation for child molestation. And, and no one knows about this. Very few people know about this. Right. And the the chief of police sits on the board, or he did, of Voice of the Martyrs. And Christian media completely covered this story up. They, they well, yeah, he died. It was a suicide. But then they. Well, they dropped the investigation about the girl that he molested, allegedly, I have to say allegedly, but, um, why would somebody kill himself if they didn't, you know? I mean, and, and the, the far reachings of that and how much that man traveled, but because he was a persecuted Christian in Cuba, they lionized him as that. So, yes, with, with that's, your- <laughs> that was my thing because
1: my husband was idolized as a persecuted Christian so he could do no wrong.
0: Right. And so talk about that. Tell everybody what your story is, because, I mean, I know. Well, I, it, but maybe- wanna, I do want
1: to say what you said. Uh, James 1, says, pure and undefined religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So I want to say, yes, helping mm-hmm. widows and orphans is important, but it has become a show. So I think the reason it says to help widows and orphans in their distress is uh, at that time where generally they don't have anything to give back. It's helping those who can't give anything back. It's helping those who are helpless. But sometimes it becomes a show of, look, here's a photo of me handing something to an orphan or helping a widow and it becomes a business. And that's not right. And, 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 And it doesn't end there. It says to keep oneself unstained by the world. So how do you keep yourself unstained yeah, the non-Christian world helps widows and orphans as well. But the other part of undif- uh, true religion is being unsane by the world. That means Jesus says, don't let anyone know when you've done a good deed. Uh, don't boast about it. Don't brag about it. Don't, you know, make business out of a house of God. So on while you're doing these deeds, yes, do it. But do it in the quiet. Do it in a way where it's uh, not lifting you up lift but it's lifting Christ up that a majority of what you do is not seen not even your right hand knows what your left hand is doing or vice versa. And so um it's the part of keeping oneself undefiled by the world that we've missed. So we're doing all the things the world helping widows and orphans, but we're doing it as the world. We're making a business out of it. We we're becoming kings we're becoming businessmen of ministries. We're, um, you know, we're talking about Jesus, but we're hiding sexual sin and other things. And we're making a lot of money. I mean, Jesus says you can't got, you know, you can't um, have money and God, like you just can't. And so, but what we do, I mean, one of you hear it on my voice uh, recording with Franklin Graham, he says, so what a lot, or it was one of the emails, I think he said, a lot of people make money off of Christianity. What's wrong with that? (laughs) He doesn't see anything wrong with making money off of Christianity. And that's the part where we've become like the world. And that's the part where we're called not to be. So a true religion, it's not just helping widows and orphans. It's also keeping oneself undefiled by the world. So, um, you know, and I think we forget that part. And in order to be undefiled by the world is continual washing of the word, because the world is always telling us this is how you should behave And we have to continually be washed by the word of God to say, "Oh, oh, no, that's not what the Bible says I should behave. The Bible says if I have any position of power, I should become a servant. I should become a slave. I should not be treated, you know, a certain way because I'm a persecuted Christian like my husband was, you know, most a lot of big churches that I visited, the pastors were treated like kings. They had a green room. They had a certain privilege. They had one of the nicest cars, nicest houses. You could tell that was the pastor. And, uh, you know, one of my good friends, he works with the Chinese church and he was, you know, um, and I'm just going to say the story really fast. He, he was taking a friend to China to visit some of these house churches and his friend said, I really want to meet this famous Chinese pastor who is like a pastor of 4 million person church. And so my friend Eugene said, okay, on this trip, you're going to meet him. And they went to China and that night they went at the hotel his Eugene's friend said well I never got to meet this Chinese pastor and my my friend Eugene said you did the guy who had just come out of the rice field his clothes were dirty and he's the one that carried your suitcase to your hotel room that was the pastor Hmm. you know you couldn't tell that was a pastor so Um, anyways, that's, that's my thing is we, it's so much against Christianity, not to keep leaders accountable. Jesus was about keeping leaders accountable, calling them out, not to be like the world, the world lords over people. If you have a position of power, whether in a home as a husband or in a church or in a business or whatever ministry in the world, you lord it over them in any religion, in Islam in any structure in the world, you look at it, you have power, you abuse that power it's only through the beauty, beautiful, amazing uh, teaching of Jesus. He's the only one that says, no, you, mm-hmm. if you have any position of power, you become a servant. And the reason you d- you can do that is because I set the example, you know, I am your example now, you know, um, and mm-hmm. in the old Testament and the Bible said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you know, in the new Testament, I have a new commandment to give you love Uh, your neighbor as I have loved you the new part of the commandment is now is not just love your neighbor as yourself there's a new commandment in a way that now Jesus has set the example he's just washed feet he's become a servant now we have an example to follow of loving others laying down our life for others and not trying to use any of our position or power to abuse and use that person for our own benefit for our own kingdom and so it's that i think and that's why i think we've lost our witness is we've become like the world yeah we're helping like franklin graham helping widows <clears throat> and orphan, but we're we're like the world we have not on we, we operate the same way as a business we uh show what we do we make a lot of money and we live pretty well as a christian i mean you a lot of these people like franklin graham no one questions but they have amazing lifestyles, you know, and that's, that's not Christianity following him and carrying your cross, uh, is not making money off of the name of
0: Jesus. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I totally wish I could totally hug you right now. I really do just cause, cause do you know how few pastors say exactly what you said? I want to go back to what you were talking about. what what james said right you know what you said keeping yourself undefiled from the world um going back to your your ex-husband pastor saeed which i i kind of hate to call him a pastor at this point but but pornography addiction is one of the number one addictions in the church and that's a known fact it's a known fact um people who are actually honest and looking at the research, they know that I actually spent part of my clinical internship as a therapist working, um, as a group facilitator for porn addicts. So Mm -hmm. I, I, I saw it quite frequently. Um, but yeah, I mean that right there, it's like, okay, but we don't want to talk about that. I remember I went to a big church in California. I won't say the name of it. And the pastor was busted for using porn in his office and he actually lost his seat as pastor, which he should have good thing. Um, but I mean, he was the head of a mega church there in Anaheim, California, that starts with a V and ends with a, well, I'm surprised he lost his seat because even now, <laughs>
1: unfortunately, I work with a lot of abused women Uh, unfortunately what, what I'm hearing is these women, you know, their husbands are told or they're told in a couple's counseling to watch porn together. Yeah. This is pastors. You know, I, I have a really good friend who was so physically ill from abuse that she could no longer have sex with her husband, you know, and the pastor's suggestion was for the husband to watch porn. And so it's not even considered sin anymore in a lot of churches. It's actually part of their marriage counseling. Yeah. shocking.
0: I can tell you that that's true as a marriage counselor. I can tell you, I, I heard a lot of that in the, in my clinical training with, with secular people in particular, but it, but <clears throat> it's also true in the church because I remember going to a church in California. Again, I'm here in Tennessee. I'm sure it's similar here, but, um, but I, yeah, I remember a woman coming up to me at my church. She was an older lady. She was in her like seventies, close to her, probably mid sixties, early seventies. And she she pulled me aside one day and she said, oh, "I just want you to know, me and my husband, we watched porn last night." And I thought, "Why did you tell me that?" First of all, it's a Sunday morning. I didn't need to know that. But it was <laughs> you got to clear your mind again. I guess, but it was just like I, you know. And I looked at her and I thought, I thought I would have never have guessed that if you had said that. But you know, someone in the sixties and seventies, like, <laughs>
1: right? No, it's everywhere. It's it's right. uh, when, And Gosh. I want to share. I don't know a lot of people who don't know my story. We talk about my ex-husband and all of that. I do want to share this. When I first came, you know, I married my husband. We came to America. Uh, I think it was two thousand. I was pregnant with my daughter. So two thousand six, we went to a, a actually Calvary Chapel conference for pastors, and because my husband couldn't speak. English, I translated for him. So I was the only woman there, basically translating for the head pastors conference. And at one of the sessions, uh, the pastor who was speaking said "You that there's no judgment, but whoever is addicted to porn, come forward. And there was about 700, 800 pastors there and majority went forward. And I was shocked. So the, the porn addiction is in the church like never before. And it's even now, that was like years ago, that was 2006. So even more so now, and it's become part of our church culture. We are not, we're so much like the world and the damage of porn, it does to the brain, the damage it does to marriage. Um, Usually uh, people addicted to porn are abusive Mm -hmm. because they look at that person as an object instead of a partner. And also they usually, um, you know, I consider porn, uh, adultery, but they usually also act out and actually sleep with someone. Um, so again, it's going back. I think we've just fallen so far from God. We've become so busy in our work and our hobbies. We don't give time to just sit at the feet of Jesus, to study his word and to get, to continually be washed by the word because the world is has all the gunk on us and we don't even realize we've got all this gunk that needs to be removed and we become like the world so we've lost our witness yep. uh i someone sent me an article that by 2050 uh islam will have the same uh, number of, it, it will surpass christianity in terms of being the number one religion in the world or you know, we've lost our witness. We should be these beautiful lights uh, to the dying world. Um, You know, a few days ago, I spoke to a Muslim woman coming out of abuse and I was able to tell her, this is not okay in Christianity. Like, yeah, you know, so we can be such an amazing witness to the Muslim world, to the Mormon world, to the world that uh, doesn't treat their uh, others well. We are the only ones that have the power of the Holy spirit to lay down our life, to serve and to love radically. No other system or religion in the world has that, but we've become so much like the world. We've downplayed sin so much. We don't consider verbal abuse, abuse. We, you know, really downplay porn. And so we've become like the world. So why are we not, we're not powerful witnesses. And we've, we've got a lot of idols in our life. Like you touch the, the Graham name and you get stoned to death. Like don't touch certain celebrity pastors names. They do so much good. And we've idolized people. Whereas in the Bible, I mean, you read the Bible, God doesn't really care about works in Matthew seven. Many in the last days, many say to Jesus, I did miracles in your name. I prophesied, meaning, you know, little P prophecy, teaching the word of God. And it could be, you know, both there's two forms of prophecy, saying the future and also teaching the word of God. They were amazing teachers of God's word. They were doing miracles. They were doing amazing things. And Jesus says, I never knew you get away from me. God doesn't. Yeah. And many, maybe millions were saved or thousands were saved through these people, but they had they did not have a relationship with jesus and how did jesus treat them he said get away from me god resists the proud but gives grace to the humble but we want to give grace to everyone god himself who's com- is love does not give grace to the proud and unrepentant he doesn't that's not how he operates and so we've we're so confused we've fallen so far away from the bible we don't tr- treat sin the way it's, we don't see sin the way it's supposed to be. And we don't treat it the way, I mean, God, uh, the Bible has pretty harsh words to say. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Like that's, yeah, that's literal you can't downplay that you cannot downplay things like that, where God's like, take out your eye, cut off your arms, take, you know, it's better to go to heaven, you know, with limbs missing, than allow this cancer to take over you so we don't we don't uh see sin the way god does we've lost sight of holiness of god and we don't treat sin like the way he does we don't cut it off and we don't do everything in our power to by the power of the holy spirit to uh get rid of it because we want to be you know focused on god instead of being consumed by porn by anger by whatever you know and so it's it's really sad that i got stoned to death i mean i was Because I spoke out against my husband, who was abusive. And then recently, I I came out about the way Franklin Graham handled abuse. And again, people are upset. Instead of being upset at people like my ex and Franklin for mishandling the word of God in such a way, uh, misrepresenting Christ in such a way, they're mad at someone speaking out and saying about
0: abuse. Yeah. And that is why we're doing this show. Because... Often, unfortunately, when the victim comes forward, they get revictimized by people who don't want to deal with it. I know that firsthand. You know it firsthand. And there's thousands and thousands, probably millions of other people that do too. And you know what's really sad is you know, um, you know, I used to, to study well, I, I still study culture and stuff, but if you look at a map of the United States, just as an example, and you put a red dot wherever there's a sex offender, the whole United States is red. I mean, literally, that's it's a red map. And that's but, but, another
1: danger of pornography. It feeds into sex slavery.
0: Right, but but here's my point. My point is, those are the ones that we know about. Mm-hmm. Those were the ones that were convicted. Those were the ones that somebody that had courage, like you and me, actually out. spoke out, right? And so, you know, I mean, honestly, I, I, you know, if, let me ask you this. So the, um, how do I ask this? So the thing with Franklin is... You know, there's power. I mean, you talk about the celebrity pastors and stuff. I've interviewed thousands of people, and most of them in the Christian world. And I can tell you, as a host of a little show here, because I'm not bought and paid for and I've got thousands of dollars to make this show huge, um, whenever I'm given an interview, this is just kind of an inside thing for a host, whenever I'm given an interview with a big-name pastor, um, and there was a big one in California, I'll, I'll just say this, they handled me, but they would only give me like a ten-minute interview. They, they, they would not. Um, they wouldn't. They don't give you more than that. Um, Joel Rosenberg, who I know everybody loves, Joel, he's got great books and stuff. I mean, just as an example, I don't hate Joel or anything, but his press people told me he will not do internet media because it's just not good enough, you know. And there and there's stuff like that. It's like, and I'm like, okay, well, all right, well, I guess you don't. You don't need me to promote you. And I wouldn't want to after knowing that anyway. Um, yeah, it's it's, it's become that...
1: about, it's, it's
0: really becoming part
1: of the world. It's really that verse in James. To keep oneself undefiled from the world means you don't operate the same way the world does. When I was advocating for my husband, I was working with ACLJ. I was working with TBN. I was working with Franklin Graham. And they all had huge media teams. First of all, how much salary is paid? For dozens and dozens of people, whole floor, maybe 40, 50 people just working on media Mm -hmm. so they can target the right audience, uh, get to people's emotions at the right time where something should be posted. And, you know, it's all about image. Like you said, what Joel Rosenberg said, you don't want to be presented in a way that's not too professional. And and so it's all about marketing. And that's not what Jesus chose. Uh, fishermen. They were not really smart or very educated. That's not. That's not Christianity. It's the foolish of the world. It's not trying to become like the world and the way they behave with social media and the way they behave with trying to gather followings. You know, I've had on my. I I start using my social media to get Sayid out of prison. But I, you know, you get this thing to promote your posts or get more followers. And I'm like, why? Like, if people want to see my page, they want to see my page. And like, like you, I am free to speak because I don't get paid. I, uh, there's no one that can say, well, I'm not going to support you anymore. Or, you know, I am not controlled by money. I can seek God. I can pray. I can fast. I can say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to say? And not have fear of losing platform. You know, Franklin already, you know, uh, took away that platform years ago when I had it, he was like, I'm going to shut everything down. You won't be able to speak. He, he has a lot of influence over Christian media, over uh, churches that you can speak at. And so, you know, it, it was good that I lost all of that because now I'm like free, like, so if churches don't invite me they already, you know, that's fine.
0: So talk to talk to me though a little bit about cuz I I want you've addressed this before with Julie Royce when when she talked to you. Talk about how you initially saw him though. I mean, you you initially were you looked up to him and thought he was great and and all of that when you were I trying to, to say
1: Yeah, I listened to everything Franklin told me. I I just Billy Graham was a huge name in in my Mm -hmm. household um when i started working with franklin to get Said out of prison franklin would say i remember i was in uh, new york one time and franklin had flown in with his private jet and he was promoting a book by billy graham and i was supposed to meet with some ambassadors in new york to talk about Said. and franklin said let's he wanted me to fly back to north carolina with him Uh, they were dedicating like a statue of Billy Graham to to State Department or something I I know there's that each state has a statue that in the Washington DC so anyways all of this to say I canceled important meetings and I listened to them I flew with them to North Carolina to be at the dedication of the Billy Graham statue and all the stuff you know the um, the governor was there and Uh, A lot of media was there. So I I just want to say he was a big deal in my life. I listened to everything he said. I got counsel from him on my advocacy for Saeed. I could not say no to him. He would send his private jet to boise idaho quite a bit to take me and the kids back to north carolina to do events speaking engagements he flew us once to disneyland um and so he did a he did a lot for our family too so there was that awe of the gram name but it, it was also that um even though i never asked for it and i actually would tell him i have emails where i told franklin like please don't set private jets, I can get on economy, and don't pay me honorariums for speaking about Saeed. If you just pay my way economy, and give me a platform to speak to get my husband out, that's fine with me. So I I was resisting the money. I didn't know at that time why, there was something inside of me that that was resisting any donations. Uh, One of my best friends, she told me not, she's like, Nagmi, I don't know if you remember, but she's like, I had groups and groups of people messaging me saying, can we raise money for Nogme and her kids? And you would message me back and say, no, please tell them just to pray. So there was something inside of me when I was advocating for Saeed not to accept money. And later I realized what it was. It's later those who donated expected us like Franklin Graham, who helped expected uh, me to listen to everything he said. And I had to put God first and I didn't. So um, anyways, that's a little overview of
0: um what happened but hopefully people know my story no but that's important though because because it does go to grooming and abuse of power okay and it really does go to yeah I mean it really does I mean um yeah I could (laughs) I could I could you feel bad you don't want to
1: talk about someone or not listen to someone who's helped your family when you were in time of need Right. When you were most vulnerable, and so it's hard when someone has given you money to ever say anything negative about them or not listen to them, and that's the crossroads I was at years later when Sa'id was released from prison. It was like, well, I do I care more about God or the Graham name, and uh, should I be controlled because someone should I be controlled by a person because they donated? Or gave me money? Or should I be controlled by the Holy Spirit? And
0: that was hard. That was a
1: real battle.
0: I know. I've I've experienced it. I've had people donate to this show. I mean, admittedly, I might make $300 a month from donations. Barely enough to pay our phone bill. But whatever. You know, I'm thankful for the donations. But I've had people, like, if I cover a topic that they don't like. I, I actually had a medical guy one time say, Oh, I looked at your thing. You talked about the gay agenda. I can't be on your show because of that. And I'm like, Did you even listen to the show? I mean, it had to do with whatever. No, I never did. And I'm like, Okay, so you're okay. Okay, whatever. (laughs) It's like.
1: (laughs) There's a temptation there when people give money to. There is that little bit of a battle of, okay, am I just going to let it go and just follow God? And. I think it's God continually testing our hearts for idols saying, are you going to follow me and testing our loyalty to him over anyone else?
0: Yeah. You know, know, this morning I was reading in, in Jeremiah, you and I talked about that, that book a couple of days ago, but I was reading in it in in chapter 26, I think it was, it might've been 25. um, I was really struck by how, you know, God, you know, he was warning Judah and Jerusalem and all these people, Hey, Turn away from the idols. If you don't, you're going to go into exile for seventy years. Um, and but if you do, it actually said this: if you actually turn, then I will relent. And Jeremiah, he actually went before the people. They took him before uh, the the people took him, and they were going to kill him. And Jeremiah was so bold. He's like, you know what? Basically, hey, you know what? If you do, if you do what you feel is right, is what he said. Um, But I am here to declare God's word to you. This is what he said. If you don't do this, I'm going to destroy you. And then they basically backed off and they said, okay, we won't won't kill you. And then they remembered the word of Micah, the prophet. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, would, you know, we've heard for years if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, right? We've heard that on the National Day of Prayer and, and other things like this. And it's like our nation is in the peril that it's in, in part because of how Christians don't vote or vote, um, in part because of the abuse of power that we see, etc. Um, and it's like, okay, well, how many, <laughs> how much longer, how much longer, you know, will well, God hold off. And the thing that stood out to me, two things stood out. I was telling my friends this morning, two things stood out. Number one, God wants to relent. He doesn't want to judge. He gives a million chances to turn around to repent, but, but, but he holds his boundary and says, look, I'm going to judge if you don't do this. And I've warned you a million times. And then the other thing that blew me away was Jeremiah. He was so bold. A real prophet, which unlike all these false prophets we see today, a real prophet stands up and says, all right, God did this. And and the thing I noticed that I thought was interesting was that in other stories, like with Gideon, you know, uh, the Lord would give him a, a partner in crime, so to speak, to go if he's scared. He'd say, hey, if you're scared, you know, then go ahead and do this. He didn't do that with Jeremiah. With Jeremiah, he just sent Jeremiah to do it. You know, he didn't say, "Hey, Jared, Jared, Jeremy, or whatever." You know, I'll go ahead and send you um, Nagme if if you go with her. You know, yeah, he didn't do that. He just said, "You do it, and and I will be with you, and I'll bless you if you you do what I tell you to." You know, he knew. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are in- good lessons that. You know, it's hard. It's it's definitely hard, and you you have suffered for your faith. I mean, I know some of your story. Where you know you've been beaten, you've been raped, you've been abused—not only by your husband, but you've, you've suffered for your action, for your faith, and that's obvious
1: at the hands of radical Muslims. But I, I didn't expect to be attacked from within, which is shocking. You know, you kind of expected. When I went to Iran uh, in two thousand and one, I knew what I was getting into. I knew that the Iranian government kills converts and I had been a Muslim born Muslim um, and I expected persecution and abuse and even being killed what I didn't expect was wolf with wolves within the church I was pretty naive and open to anyone who called themselves a Christian and you know and that was a part of the Bible that really God really I had to experience firsthand for that part of the Bible to come to life to me that there are people who call themselves Christians, you know, Jesus says many in the last days will say to me, Lord, Lord, so they're recognizing the Lordship of Jesus. And they're doing amazing work. But Jesus says, I never knew you. How shocking is that? And so that I didn't know that until it happened to me. So um, I'm thankful for that. But yes, I, my heart has always been um, evangelism, especially to Muslims. And that's, uh evangelism to Muslims is not a very uh fun area it's it's uh heavily you're heavily persecuted I flew to the Middle East when no one wanted to fly to the Middle East it was right after September 11 and I was persecuted by the Iranian government uh I was I became part of one of the biggest house church networks in Iran Mm -hmm. from the year 2001 until 2005 when I left and um I was arrested many times. I had guns pointed to me to, tell, to have me deny my faith. Uh, God never allowed the enemy to take my life. You know, uh, He allowed me to survive all of these arrests and threats by the radical Muslims, the revolutionary guards in Iran. But what really got me as, as an on-fire Christian who was ready as a single girl, ready to die for Jesus and ready to take the gospel to the hardest, one of the hardest places on earth, uh, and, and when I went is when the, how, when the re, I was at the forefront of revival in Iran, where people were getting saved, that was the early two thousands. When I went that, and I was part of that, uh, to see Muslims, thousands and thousands of Muslims get saved. So he got allowed me to see the beginning of a revival, um, of a movement. Um, but that, you know, that I was on fire for the Lord. What got me was marrying someone who appeared to be a Christian, Pastor, and was extremely abusive, physically abusive, uh, emotionally, psychologically, verbally, you know, in every way. And he was addicted to porn and was cheating on me. I mean, I couldn't have picked someone better if I had tried. Someone who refused to work, who thought he was a Levi, uh, that he should um, only do ministry. And so, for all of our marriage, I was working and providing for our family, and I was being abused and. I was so confused. I thought this is a Christian pastor. This is someone who um, is, you know, loves God and is evangelizing. And then when Saeed went to prison, I, I have always had a heart for the persecuted church. So he was my hero too. Wow. Now he's standing up for his faith and I'm going to be a voice for him and I'm going to get him out of prison. And, uh, and, you know, I think God allowed Saeed to become such a big name and in a way, an idol became an idol of because we idolize the persecuted church they can do no wrong and yep. here Saeed at the same time was in prison with another Iranian pastor that I started talking to his wife she lived in Canada she had experienced the same things beating porn addiction cheating and his name was so like it was i almost like bringing up the name of a saint and people do not believe that you know, a persecuted Christian could ever do any wrong, or Jesus might make, might one day tell them, I never knew you. I think we will be shocked in who Jesus knows in heaven and who he doesn't know. You know, I think we, in our human brain put certain people, you know, on a certain state and we think, oh, they, they know Jesus really well. And we don't know, only God knows. So I think there's going to be a lot of us that are shocked who's in heaven, who's not. So
0: yeah, I. Uh, <clears throat> I hope we're there. <laughs> Just kidding. I think we'll be there.
1: <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. I don't want people questioning their salvation or anything. I think once saved, always saved. That's my thing. Right. I believe I that, that too. <laughs> I do believe. So I don't think you can mess up and not be saved. Right. But I do
0: believe there are people that were never saved. Right. Well, uh, and yeah, and and that that is that is the interesting thing. technology um, itself. Yeah. We don't want to get into that. Yeah. So what I want to do is I want to tell everybody, Hey, you know, if you just tuned in or if you've been tuned in, I don't know if Randall wants to come on the screen or not. You just flashed yourself to me so I could see my husband. Um, but if you just joined us, or if you are watching this far, you already know my guest is, uh, Nagme Panahi. 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 I said Panahi. I got it right. <laughs> I've said Abedini so long that I got that down. I know, uh, but but you know, we what we what we want to do is this is just part one of the interview. We're gonna go ahead. We're gonna shut down this because we know it's getting longer. We're gonna go ahead and relaunch the show in a couple of minutes, about 15, 20 minutes, um, and come back. And we're gonna continue to talk about this topic because there's a lot to unpack. And honestly, I think that um, you haven't even really heard a lot of her story. And so, if that's all right with you. We'll go ahead and we'll we'll take a break and um, thank everybody for watching. Don't forget, go over to hearttug.org. You can look over there again. What we do? Join our email list. Join our text message list, um, and um, we'll be right back.